you know, last time I was up here, I talked about uh, chapter three of uh, Ruth, and Lurleen was sick at home, and she was listening on the radio or on the TV or whatever, computer, and I mentioned the word risque, and boy, she went on point. Almost had a break. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to continue here in, in Ruth today. I hope we can finish it. Uh, if you would, please stand this morning for the reading of the word. And I guess I better turn it on. I'm used to having that done for me. It comes from Luke 14, 28 and 31. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate if you have enough money to complete it? And verse 31 says, Or suppose a king is about to go to war with another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who is coming against him with 20,000? Shall we pray? Lord, I just ask this morning, first of all, that you be with me and that my words be your words, Lord. I'd ask it every heart and every mind be opened here this morning to receive your word. And just ask, Lord, that you be with everyone when they leave here today. May your blessings be on them in this coming week. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. As I said, we're going to be uh, finishing up Ruth, so I invite you, if you want to, grab a pew Bible there and go to chapter 4 of Ruth. Uh, today, as we're finishing Ruth, I want to go back and review some of the lessons that we have learned so far as we've been tracking this story of a family that goes through some pretty hard times. And so through their struggles, we've learned some lessons. Number one, God uses our life difficulties to get our attention. Uh, how many of y'all have been going along pretty good and all of a sudden something pops up in your life and all of a sudden, man, we need God more than we thought we did. He, he uses these events in our lives to get our attention. Uh, number two, also in this story, we learned about divine providence. That's where... Uh, even when you don't know he's there, you don't sense him, you know that God is moving things in your life in your favor. He's, he's working behind the scenes to make things work for you in your life. And then last week, uh, we talked about making decisions. Should we wait on God or should we initiate? We all have these moments where we feel this strange dilemma in our life. We don't know... Well, I'm praying about it, but I'm not getting the answer I need. So what do I just sit here and wait, or what do I do? And, uh, uh, of course, the last time I was up here, we talked about uh, Naomi and Ruth, and uh, Ruth made her move. So that brings us to our last lesson for today, and that's counting the cost. As we uh, look here at this final chapter in Ruth, uh, this lesson is about learning, counting the cost. And see, sometimes when something 
meaningful in our lives, something important, something worthwhile is in front of us, and we want to reach out and get it, is it going to be costly? It might take us some time. It might take some energy. It might cost us a friendship or even a relationship. It can require some sacrifice, but something important, something valuable, something meaningful is always going to demand that we count the cost, which is all about being aware. What is this going to cost me? And then deciding it, what am I going to do to pay this price? Am I willing to pay it? And so uh, that's what today's story is going to be about. Now, as we saw in the scripture here, Jesus gave us some cautions about kind of cost in life, but he also pointed out <clears throat> excuse me, that there are going to be uh, times in life that things are going to come at a great price, meaningful things, valuable things that we should be willing to pay the price to get. So what kind of things are we talking about? Well, uh, you're thinking about maybe uh, college education. Are you willing to put in the money and the time it takes, four, six, eight years, and hundreds of thousands of dollars that it takes to get a, a proper education so that for the rest of your life you'll have a job that's meaningful and, uh, you know, can, can support you and give you opportunities to serve other people? Uh, how about if we, we go down on a little lower scale? Uh, say you want to make the football team, you're in high school. Are you willing to go out there and work hard for it? Pay the price. Get out there and run that extra mile. Uh, sweating in the heat. Hit a little harder. Take a few hits. Is it worth it to you to pay the price to be on a team? <clears throat> there are just many things in life that are important to us. Uh, I'm not even going to get started on grandchildren because there's no limits there. Uh, you just do whatever the cost is for your grandkids. Am I right? Yes. Okay. So uh, uh, one of the most dear things that we need to learn and have to pay a price for is to hear the Word of God speaking to us. You know, to me, I've never heard God just boom out at me and say, Jim, do this. I mean, I, I never felt that. But I feel these feelings inside me when he's telling me, you need to pay attention because this is what I'm wanting you to do. I, I think this is what I need to do. And so I do it. And uh, that was kind of like this await or initiate. If we take this step that we feel like God wants us to do and it's not the right one, you don't have to worry because it won't be long till he'll let you know that it's not the right step. And so... Uh, the way that we can get tuned in to God's Word is to get your Bible out and study, read it. You know, this book of Ruth, the more I've got into it and learned about so many different things, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've read it or listened to it, and there are so many life lessons in this book that are so important for each of us. And uh, here as we close on uh, the last chapter, I'm going to try to tell this kind of in a story form because from this point on, it kind of is a story. Um, you'll remember that we have uh, three people, three main characters in the book of Ruth, and that is Naomi, who's a mother-in-law, 
And she's kind of hovering around to see if the plan that she created for this family redeemer is going to come to pass. Now, you all remember a family redeemer, this is a, is a goel. This is the Hebrew word for a family redeemer. It's a relative that has a legal and financial means, means to help a family that has suffered losses in their lives. Now, we also uh, uh, have Boaz. Naomi knows Boaz. That's another personal story. And Boaz is a family redeemer. He has the legal opportunity and the means to do something to help their family through some of their losses. So Boaz is kind of processing this. Now, y'all remember the last time I was up here that uh, Ruth went to Boaz on the threshing floor at night she pulled the covers back off his feet, and she laid down at his feet. And in Hebrew culture, that's the same thing as proposing to him. She, she was telling him that, I want you to marry me. I want you to be my family redeemer. I want you to take care of my family. And uh, as we'll find out, there was another man that was a family redeemer in the family that was actually closer than Boaz was, but Ruth had chosen Boaz. So let's go on with our story here. Uh, so Naomi has created this plan, and Ruth, by the time we get to the end of chapter 3 and going into chapter 4, they're just kind of sitting there in a waiting pattern, waiting on Boaz, what he's going to do. Uh, now, uh, uh, she's waiting on the Lord, by waiting on Boaz to see what he's going to do. And if you'll remember, uh, Naomi told Ruth, she said, after you did this, I mean, he's going to have this on his mind, and he is not going to rest until he settles this matter. And so, like, the very next day, <clears throat> he goes to the, uh, uh, to the gate of, of, the, of Bethlehem to catch the people coming in and out. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, coming in and out, and he wants to catch this other family redeemer and talk to him. Now, uh, so Boaz, I'm going to go here to verse 1 in chapter 4. Let's see what he does. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Boaz went to the town gate, and he took a seat there. Now, Jewish cities were built and organized differently than Greek and Roman cities, Greek and Roman cities had these coliseums and big fancy buildings and all that, amphitheaters and other spaces in the interior of the city uh, where they could conduct business. But in Jewish cities, they had, most of them had a wall around them and a gate, usually four gates, to come in, but there was one main gate. And so uh, uh, Boaz went to the most trafficked gate and sat down and where all the official business happened, and he sits, sits down, and guess what? Lo and behold, who comes walking up but this other family redeemer, the one that Boaz was wanting to talk to, just another God thing like it was when uh, Ruth ended up in Boaz's field. She didn't know where she was going, but God led her there, and God has led this other family redeemer. And I did a lot of research I can't find this guy's name. I don't know what it was. If anybody does know it, well, I would like to know if you can find it. Uh, anyway, lo and behold, just at the right time, 
the other family redeemer showed up at the gate. A God thing. God is working our lives. He's instigating things. He's working in these particulars because what are the odds that right now when Boaz sits down, the person he's looking for goes through the gate just then and God is working in these details. So Boaz called out to him. He said, hey, come over here. Sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together and we moved to verse 2. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked him to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the other family redeemer, he says, You know Naomi who came back from Moab? She's selling the land that belonged to our relative Ameliac. Now the phrase selling the land, this is some, just some information here that I come up with. Uh, it means that when Ameliac left his family, or led his family to leave Bethlehem during the great drought, he stopped paying the taxes and abandoned his property that his family owned. So it's kind of like we'd say now, the property was in probate of the court. And uh, uh, they're having to, to determine the legal rights around the property. If there's any balances or any debts, all these things had to be paid for before the property can be transferred back to the family. Now for us, it's a little bit get difficult for us to understand because Old Testament law complicates how this transaction would happen because technically a person was not allowed to buy land because God said it in a word. He said, I own the land. I, God, I own the land and I've given it to you to use as a tenant. You can't buy it. You can't sell it. And so it's a little different scenario than what we're familiar with. But a person could forfeit their land use rights by banning it like they did. And it's evident that the case is what was happening here. So when that would be the case, somebody would step up, pay what taxes were owed on the property, then take occupation of the land. But here's the catch. You can only do that, have occupation of this inherited property for a temporary period of time. In Jewish law, in the Jewish legal system, debt had limits. Every 50 years, every 50 years, every debt had to be forgiven. And land that was acquired in this way had to revert back to the family. So any purchase of the property was really about provisional ownership. If you buy, say, this section of land right now, and you pay a lot of money for it. In 50 years, maybe by the time your grandkids get up here to own it, it's not going to be there. It's going back to the person you bought it from. So uh, if, if you did buy it, and it was a good piece of property, you could work that land and make some profit, but only up to the end of that 50 years. So uh, it's possible that this could be a good investment. So now we go to verse 4. Boaz says, I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. See, uh, Boaz, he's got his sights set on Ruth. He really wants Ruth because she's been friendly with him. He's been taking care of her and her mother-in-law for the last several months. And she's actually kind of proposed to him, but he, he is bound by honor and by law to go to this other uh, family redeemer and give him an opportunity to redeem the land before he can. So he says, uh, 
I thought I should speak to you about it so you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it. If you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. Sounds like a good deal. It's a good property. It can be profitable for me even for a limited amount of time. I'll do it. So now we're all thinking, oh, man, we're reading this story. What are we going to do? You know, it's, uh, Boaz is just more like handing over Ruth to this other family redeemer. But I tell you all, I believe that uh, Boaz had a little camel trader in him or a little horse trader because we'll find out a little more here in just a second. Uh, uh, Boaz says, uh, uh, said he started off his negotiation by bringing up the land because he wants to check the motive of this guy. Does the guy really have any interest in Naomi and Ruth or is he just thinking about the money and the property? And so uh, Boaz kind of roots out his other guy's motive and says, hey, it must just be for money, right? Because that's what re he's really interested in. And we go to verse 5. Now this, this is a clincher. Boaz tells him, oh, well, of course, now listen, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way, she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land and the family. So y'all see where he's going here. He's uh, kind of creating a little doubt in this other family redeemer's mind. Uh, you, know, you know how it is when you're shopping online and, and uh, you click the button here and you put that in your cart. You click over here and you put this in your cart. And you got pretty soon, I do this on Amazon a lot, and I get down to the bottom, and I think, $700. All this stuff couldn't be up that much money, so you have to go back through there and count the cost, and I have to delete some of those items and decide what I want to do. Well, that's what this other family redeemer is doing right now. Uh, he's counting the cost. He says, I like the land. I can make a profit, but you're telling me that he's going to have to marry Ruth? and have a child, well, he starts thinking, man, am I gonna have enough cash up front to pay all these debts uh, on the property and the lien? Uh, plus, I gotta do a startup farming operation out here on the, on the farm out there. That's gonna be cost a lot of money. Uh, he starts thinking about it, and uh, you get the land, you get everything that's associated with it, so he's going to get also Naomi, the mother-in-law, she's going to be in his family too after he gets Ruth. So he's thinking, man, that's, she's just an old woman. What am I going to do? I'm going to have to keep her up too. So uh, he's counting the cost. He's counting the cost. And there's also a cost associated with a new bride. I'm not even going to go there. It costs a lot of money for a wedding feast, and that's just the least of it. So, uh, uh, but here was a deal breaker. In the long-term cost of raising up an heir, which means he's going to have to uh, have a child with Ruth, and it'll be a child that will never, never legally be considered his. It's going to be considered Amelia's son, which means everything that he invests into that life into that marriage and into that family, into a land that ultimately is going to revert back to their family is not going to be his. So 
he counts the cost and he says, I can't pay it. I cannot redeem it because it might endanger my own estate. So you redeem the land. I just can't do it. So he had counted the cost. It was just too much for him. I'm out. But notice that Boaz had counted the cost too. And he considers that the act of redemption, redeeming this family, being the family redeemer, is more than worth the cost. And so he says, I'm in. Look at verse 9. Your witnesses today that I have bought from Naomi all the property. There's 10. Remember, there's 10 people there, leaders from the city as witnesses. And so he makes a deal in front of them. He acquires the land. And with the land, I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow, to be my wife. Uh, this way, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in the hometown. You're all witnesses of this today. So Boaz took Ruth into his home. The Lord allowed her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. And then the women of the town said to Naomi, who is a mother-in-law, Praise the Lord, who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth, care for you in your old age. For he is a son of your daughter-in-law, who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Now in verse 16 it says that Naomi took the baby, cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if it were her own. The women, the neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again. They named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of, wait for it, we talked about this this morning, David. King David. That's right. And I find it comforting personally to know that, of course, we all know that Jesus was a descendant of King David, but I find it encouraging that on up the ladder of genealogy, there was a Moabite woman who was, I mean, Moabites were not considered to be good people. They were uh, forbidden people, actually. But God chose Ruth, a Moabite woman, to be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Uh, there are some things in life that are going to be very costly, but are they worth paying the price? So again, I ask you, count the cost. What's this going to cost me? Am I willing to pay the price? Because most things that are meaningful and valuable and worthwhile are going to cost you something. We all know that. So you say to yourself, I want us to have a strong marriage. So you look at your spouse. I want us to have a strong marriage, but are you willing to pay the price for it? Some of you have moments where you feel this strong impulse. Uh, I want to be a, a strong man of God. I want to be a woman of God. I want that to be true of me. I want my family to think that of me and my legacy. But are you willing to pay the price for that? You want to give up some things. You, you want to add some things to your life. Are you willing to be a friend, build a relationship with someone, knowing that that relationship might cost you something? Count the cost. How many of you wish you could go back in time and change some of the things 
little things in your life that might have allowed you to be a redeemer for someone else. Not necessarily a family redeemer, but a missed opportunity to change someone's life. I, I can think of many in my life that things that I would have changed if I could have, it would have made a huge difference in someone's life. Boaz, being the person who sees something that's valuable and worthwhile, knows there's a price tag, and you see the price, and you're willing to pay it. Where is God setting up opportunities for you like he did Boaz? Now, standing in the background of Ruth's story, the whole time, has been personality with a shadow that's cast over all the characters. And it's a person whose presence is even greater, greater than Boaz, greater than Ruth, greater than Naomi. In fact, let's just call him the greater Goel. There is a greater Goel, the one who looked at the shocking price of rescuing and redeeming lives, lost lives that faced a circumstance a debt of desperation far greater than Naomi and Ruth because we're talking about an eternal, eternal debt of sin. But be thanks to God for the one who is greater than Boaz, Jesus Christ, who stepped up to be our God and our family redeemer. He has redeemed all of us by giving his life on the cross. He counted the cost. He knew the cost. And he did it. He sacrificed himself for us. I lost my spot. The Bible says that though he was God, he gave up his divine privileges born in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Philippians chapter 2. But in Colossians chapter 2, it records that he forgave all our sins, canceled the record of all the charges against us, and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Can I say to you that Jesus Christ is our great Redeemer, the one who counted the cost, paid the price for our sins and our salvation. And while Ruth found favor in Boaz's fields, listen, we can find favor in the fields of God, if we just look, if we just pay attention, if we sit quiet and listen to the whispers that God puts in our mind, uh, and it happens. We just have to sit down and pay attention for it, or to it, listen to it. We can, we can dwell on a sufficiency of Christ in Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches, and glory by Christ Jesus. Now listen, we're talking about the same God right now as it was back in Ruth's day. He answered prayers back then. He answers prayers now. He provided back then. He provides for us now. He moved in power then, and he moves in power every single day now. He healed then. He heals now. He saved you then. He saved you now. He is the same God. And my God and your God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus.
Jesus Christ, our family redeemer, deserves our praise.